Carrying huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain so close. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. This episode is brought to you by Kenda Tires. With over 60 years of experience in manufacturing tires, Kenda has been offering high quality rubber products for bicycles, cars, light trucks, motorcycles, ATVs, trailers, carts, golf carts. The list goes on since 1962. With offices and factories across Asia, North America, Europe, Kenda distributes its products globally and employs more than 10,000 people. Now listen to this number. They produce more than 800,000 tires and tubes daily. It's easy to see why Kenda is one of the top five largest bicycle tire manufacturers in the world. Now I am lucky to be supported by them and I helped design, develop. I was involved in the passion and the work that they put in to developing the new range of bicycle tires that they have that people use and compete on the World Cup circuit. How's it? Welcome back, sports fans. This is Moving the Needle Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Nietling. Thanks so much for all the downloads, the personal messages. You guys gave some messages to my next guest. Now, I've got to know him pretty well, um, and I think the freeride world of mountain biking is really getting to know him. I think he's still very underrated, and we'll chat about all that and more. It's Clemens Caudela. I hope I have pronounced his name as it should be, but it's Sea Dog. And to me, he is sort of one of our brothers from South Africa now. I know he's starting to think about even property in South Africa. But Sea Dog, you are back from Darkfest. You're home in Austria. How are we doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, actually. I must say the first days back home are always a little bit tough, actually. Because, yeah, especially the farm where we stay on, it feels like uh, definitely second home to me. And, you know... And why it actually feels so good is the people there. And there's always everyone around. You come around all the time. And, yeah, once I get back home, there's just me and maybe my granny every now and then. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely more quiet and uh, not as exciting, I must say. Is there a bit of – I was thinking there's a bit of a hangover, even for me, and I'm not, you know, fully involved like you and, and sort of throwing those tricks. And you obviously did the build. Is there a bit of a hangover and almost like a mini depression when you get back from such an exciting, probably adrenaline-filled week such as Darkfest? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. I experienced that many times. Um, this trip specifically, I stayed a little bit longer because um, um, my dad came around and my sister came around and I, uh, I showed them around um, Cape Town a bit because, you know, I know a few things now. Um, so that made it a bit less, I must say, but, uh, some trips I go home like two days after the event finished and then you come home from, from full gas and then big after party at the end and, and huge emotions through all the week. And, uh, and then you come to like a silent home and then you're like every now and then, you know, like you're really missing that people are coming around um so there is definitely a hangover and like a slight a slight depression for sure i think yeah i was i was wondering about that when i was going to chat to you and you you go back to obviously your your home country your hometown but i remember say after a season of racing and maybe it's similar when you get home and you kind of look around maybe you mow the lawn 
Uh, eventually you got to do the dishes like kind of normal life sets in versus you know at an event you're taken care of pretty well let's be honest i noticed uh, i think the free riders have earned it at uh, what they do at darkfest but they're pretty spoilt as well um so how do you manage that what like what does it look like to just kind of like get back into you know normal life you know quote unquote and then back into your normal like biking routine yeah, I must say, um, <clears throat> yeah, we definitely are spoiled. Like things are taken uh, care of very well. And <laughs> you don't have to do a single dish. You don't have to think about any meals. It's just everything is there and provided and more. Like even tattoo artists are there. And uh, and yeah, but I must say also that, um, for example, with Darkfest, where um, we also do the build, like there is, it is so long, like it's a month of like 24-7, like people around. And by the end, I'm, <clears throat> I'm like, I'm like when I'm getting home, I'm like actually like a few days with a little bit less people around is, is, is kind of like what I need sometimes because I'm also a person like I can't be alone. Like I, I don't mind it. Like sometimes I like to be alone. And, uh, yeah, the, it is like, I would say the first two days are like slightly weird cause it's like from hundred to zero and, and, but then it's like, I like it. Like you need a week off anyway. Um, cause even if you don't crash, it still is hard on body and mind. And actually this year I crashed like two, three times. Uh, I didn't hurt myself specifically, but you just feel like you need 10 days until you're ready again and uh and those 10 days you know just doing simple things like i don't know like recently i uh, um i have like a little workshop and i reconcreted the floor and it's like the most joy to me to sweep the floor now because it's a good like a nice floor <laughs> so i just go and sweep the floor <laughs> all the time <laughs> yeah and um it's you, you spoke about the build and, and some people have asked about the build of Darkfest. And yes, you guys have got the, the course pretty dialed, but it seems every year it's getting more and more dialed and uh, sort of, uh, if I can use the word safe, some of the people listening might not understand we can use that word for such big jumps. How much is science and how much is sort of gut experience? Like what sort of level are we looking at? Uh, are we measuring tape some things? Have you guys got any sort of um, measurement of angles on some of these lips? Like, what are we looking at for the people that have no idea and, and maybe haven't even seen the jumps in person? Yeah, well, um, as you said, like now, like the last two years, we just made small changes to the line. And it was usually like I write down notes of every jump, like, oh, jump was great. Um, jump could have needed a bit more of a pop or had too much pop or landing was too mellow and and i also got myself like a laser measurement tool like where you can measure like indirect hates because like how do you measure the height of a dirt lip you know like you cannot take a tape measure and just straight measure down vertical to side like it doesn't work so i have like a laser tool that that you just point it from the top to the lowest point before the lip and then it tells you your lip is like five meters vertical or like three meters vertical and um <clears throat> like the last two years we didn't need much of that i must say but when we first built it you know we were we were aiming for um some angles some heights 
because I, I knew from my recordings that um, certain angles are very good for, for, more, for more for tricks and certain angles are more good for like if you just want to go far, like the 90 photo, we just want to go like big gap. So obviously it has to be more mellow. And um, um, how I approach it or together with Sam and back then with Nico, we would go for a mixture of all of it, you know, of, of gut feeling of like, just feel out the terrain and then, but also measurements, you know? So, uh, and that mixture I feel like um, gets us always very close to like where it needs to be. And then obviously you have to ride it because even with that, I would say if we build 10 new jumps, Nine of them are very spot on, like within the range that you, you know, like you can test it and you're not going to, you know, um, end in the hospital. And, and one of them might be a bit off, but, you know, we're not um, scientists and we're not putting like weeks into um, planning it out and 3D layering it out. So, so we, we go a little bit old school with a little bit of new school technology. And uh, yeah, um, yeah, that's how we do it basically. And then, as I said, like the last, like this year, we just made small changes. We measured it out. The course is like covered super nice. So it actually, once we, we put off the tarps, you can still see some, some you know, tire treads in the takeoff. And, and then we knew, for example, on the rocket launchers, they last year weren't perfect. You know, it's like, we're a bit weird, I would say. And and then we just knew, okay, rocket launcher number one, we need to steepen the landing, uh, maybe make it a little bit higher again, and then just make the takeoff as smooth as we could. And uh, on specifically that takeoff, on rocket launcher number one takeoff, we just literally took out on the top meter, we took out a centimeter, and then we added like two centimeters, and then and this is the whole lip down and we just spade worked it. And it was like the five guys of us, like Justin helped, Duran, Sammy, Ryan. And, uh, and it took us a whole entire day because you just don't see how big those lips are and like what surface that you actually need to work on. But it, uh, it really made the difference because to me it was as smooth as it can be for that size as safe as it can be for that size and and uh, everyone enjoying it. I think Rocket One had no crash at all. Not even sketchy moments, I think, of no one. And uh, yeah, all the girls rode it as well and, and they looked good out there. So so that just um, tells me a track builder, um, this was good. And how much responsibility do you take as the builder in terms of so guinea pigging the jumps, like what's that process look like now? I've asked Sam and, you know, sometimes you take turns or if you feel good, you do it. What's the, like the process of guinea pigging? And then that responsibility you mentioned of, okay, I'm part of building this course and I want to get all the riders over safely. Like, is it quite nerve wracking before there's a top to bottom run? Or what's that like? Um, yeah, there's definitely, um, I feel very responsible for taking all the riders safe over there. Um, I mean, usually like if you guys hit it already or like prior to the event, 
and then you kind of know but um sometimes if it's tight for example with other course builds and a jump doesn't really work out and then some people crash it's definitely i don't know hurts me a little bit as, as a builder because you know i want i want to build the best jumps and uh if if someone will get hurt like because the jump isn't good yeah that that would be yeah that would hurt me for sure and um yeah usually depending on the workload like i do like to test because you know like in my head building a jump for a few days i've jumped it already like a thousand times you know every time i get out the machine look then i'm imagining jumping it already and and uh if it's not like 14 hour days straight and then in between testing that that's tough because you're mentally exhausted um but like at dark fest uh in the first years we built it was it was it was sam nico and myself and and whoever felt it that day sent it you know sam obviously always felt the most responsible because it's his event and he's like yeah i have to test it but um i can remember you know some days it was like uh nico was like dude i i feel good today i'm you know i'm gonna send it i think i got it and other days i was like dude sam i'm doing it today i'm like today i'm ready for it and uh yeah that, that's that's how basically how we did it and if you weren't ready then there was sam or nico and you could follow them and check it out yeah, it's kind of like a little dysfunctional family out there. Um, it's been great to to witness it, definitely. And um, you have like a huge passion for building and a huge skill set. I mean, you've said that you almost enjoy it as much as your your riding. And you've obviously taken it a step further, and you've got a trail building company. And I've seen some of the awesome awesome work in Austria. What's it like? Being a, a, a current rider, top level rider, one of the best in the world in, in my mind, to also being a business owner and sort of having to juggle that stuff. We talk a little bit about, you know, the business side of riding and, and I think you're quite organized being from Austria uh, versus maybe some other riders from more, uh, what's it, What what, what how would we speak about someone from spain versus austria a little bit more laid back <laughs> uh, i like the image that you think that austria is very organized um um i think i don't know i think it more a little bit more has to do with your age actually um but uh but yeah i'm a, um doing the business and like being a rider and the trail build at the same time is 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 can be very tough um especially in the summer and it, it took me a while to figure out how it works the best for me personally and um for me personally it works actually better if i have blocks of like if i have like a good block of two weeks of riding and i can put my my focus just on riding and then i have a block of two weeks of building and then i just um, put my focus on building and you know ride like easy just like staying in shape um, rather than like mixing it up completely, like building and riding hard at the same day. That is actually, um, that doesn't work out so well for me because, you know, like if you get up at six in the morning and you start building at seven, eight, and if you want to make process, you have to put in the hours. That's simple. 
and then writing it like later or even before it's, I don't know, it doesn't work out so well for me this way, but like in blocks, it works out better. And it goes along um, with being an athlete as well. Cause you know, like for example, one of your sponsors asks you like, Hey, can you do a week of shooting or two weeks of shooting? Cause we have this new product and you're like, yeah, perfect. That's then two weeks of just doing that. And I can plan it out better as well because then I have the two weeks shoot. And then I was like, okay, after I can do like two two weeks of building, then I would have, um, I don't know, a week off prior to an event. I get into my routine again, practice. And uh, yeah, that kind of like, that works for me this way, I would say. And um the thing uh, that's I'm I'm hearing I'm hearing a little bit of Austrian German efficiency there. I'm just saying. I don't know if it's just <laughs> your age. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Well, uh, the thing is if you don't organize yourself, you just you know, time flies and then you're looking back and you're like, ah, I didn't get this done, didn't get that done. Or you're stressing, um and um stressing I really try to avoid. And the only way for me to avoid is if I'm kind of organized or planned out. And, you know, with the few years of experience, you kind of just know how the season is going to be. You just know, um, yeah, how is, how is uh, I don't know, any event or shooting. You, you just have a few, like, you just know how it's going to be so you can prepare yourself better. And um, what did I want to say? I forgot. I uh, The only thing about... Um, the building and riding as an athlete combined is that uh, sometimes people get upset a little bit because they want a trail so badly built, but you know, my schedule doesn't allow it to do it like within the next three months. And then I, sometimes I can't even come by and have like a site visit because it's um, like so busy and uh, as a rider and, um, and, and that is a little bit, yeah, that that's the only hard thing because like you could do more and but you can't because you also have to put your focus and 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 a lot of um like riding takes all of your brain power in my opinion like if you if you want to ride hard you need to prepare yourself think about it go through it and and have nothing else in your head so um yeah that's but I like the challenge and any other uh, other way would um i don't know pour me out i think so so i like it being busy and you know i i was reading some comments and when you were intro when you release your new sponsors and stuff and intro yourself some of them some of the comments were like we know who you are you don't have to intro yourself and I think it's become that now a couple of years from writing dark fish so hard and winning awards and I'm looking at some of the highlight clips and I personally feel that you're underrated. Is that something you ever think about, care about? Because I just think you're riding as hard, if not harder than some of some of the the guys that have, have you know, maybe been invited to certain events and, and not taking any credit away from them. I'm trying to mention that I, I think you're underrated. I don't know if that comes from the lack of free ride scene in Austria. Is it ever across your mind? Does it fire you up? Fire you up? Um, well, the, um, I don't think about it too much actually. Um, I um, I just like you know I only started the 
the big bike thing like five, no, hold on. Yeah, like six years ago. And until then, um, like in slope style, um, I wasn't like hugely successful, like, you know, like a, you know, Rugetkin or Rita that won many things. So, so I didn't have huge social media and, um, I, I, I just thought like, you know, um, no, hold on, hold on how to put it the right way. Um, also like I'm from a small town village. I'm very grounded, I've, I would say. So I'm not like expecting everyone to know me like that's that's not in my thinking so i'm like always introducing myself because i never know if someone knows me or not you know like i'm not always in the mountain biking scene you know and and i think just just being like that is is like you know you introduce yourself you know like i'm not going out there expecting anyone to know me and uh yeah in recent years in mountain biking obviously with dark fest is a big platform you know, like, um, yeah, definitely more people know me now. And that's probably why um, you read comments like that, you know. Yeah, I, I love seeing it. And, and I I think you should be invited to all the events under the sun. So here's, uh, if anyone's listening out there, what say your hometown, uh, pronounce <laughs> your hometown. Yeah, it's Unterstinkenbrunn. Unterstinkenbrunn. Yeah, you did it right. Um, it basically worked. That's my Afrikaans it's... accent. Yeah, yeah, you're Afrikaans. That's... Dude, it, it is a difference. Like uh, in South Africa, when people want to learn some German, they can pronounce it really well quickly because of the Afrikaans. Because it's like if you talk to an Afrikaans boot, uh, he rolls the R. -r like exactly the same as we do so yeah uh, yeah yeah stop the lorry but the, have you heard uh, have you heard them talk about brain like some of yeah, the very uh, old school african no not braying not bry like barbecue so okay. bray is when you roll the r's all the time even when you shouldn't ah uh, yeah for sure yeah yeah because you know obviously when you know, we get excavators delivered and uh, different people come around the corner. And when someone has like, does like, how do you say, brain? Or yeah, brain. Just... It's like, ek rey, ek rey. And you're like, Are you, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it kind of like almost entertains me a little bit because, um, um, I'm just hearing like Austrian people speaking English, you know, like my accent, but not even maybe, I don't know how hard it is for you guys, but, um, yeah, I just like, whenever I see South African, like speaking like that, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I kind of, I enjoy it. It, it. it entertains me a little bit. So speaking about the, your, your small hometown and, and, uh, you've, those uh, video series you made was self-made or what was the series you made? What did you call yeah. that one again? I watched them yesterday. Um, it's called uh, You did call them self-made, right? Yes, yes. Um, yeah, yeah, at your compound, right? Yeah, basically it's it's kind of like five kilometers out the village, you know, and um, it the land is owned by a friend of mine and he's like, yeah, dig whatever you want there. And um, yeah. But we don't have much um, hills like, like to the next like bigger hills. I have to drive a little bit, so that's why yeah, we just have rolling towers and jumps and 
and not much actually like genuine trails. I have to drive 45 minutes. That's the closest trail, you know, that you can actually descend nicely. And would you sum up that kind of as your upbringing and and, uh, sort of how the sport started for you? Because you had to build it yourself. Didn't you build your own dirt jumps on your property or your parents' yeah, yeah, property 100. or your grand's property? Wasn't that that how your how it started for you? Yeah, exactly. Because um, there was just there's just you know when you start with 15, you obviously have no driver's license. You can't drive anywhere, and there weren't too many spots either. And um, yeah, my dad had like a sawmill factory. A small one and we had some land and he was like very supportive in terms of like uh you, you can use whatever wood you want build your own rolling tower you can you can you know, use the forklift and everything and uh build yourself a jump there and so i could just go out there and do things by myself mainly but like i had a few friends that were into it but definitely not as hard as i was and uh yeah so i always built and uh always rolled kind of like dirt jumps because that's yeah that's that's what was available and um i uh, first i got really inspired by like new world disorder movies and i wanted to do big mountain free riding but yeah <laughs> there is no big mountain free riding in my area so i had to go this route to later um yeah go into actual big mountain free riding and was there a time when you realized you could make a career or pro? Do you, do you ever think back? Like, was there a time when you're like, I'm going to do this? I'm going to make a career or that you felt good enough to make it a career? Yeah, definitely. Because um, I went the dirt jumping um, route then. And I like there was one season or like one summer, I can remember it pretty good. I was 15 and I learned like within three weeks, like, a backflip, a 360, and a tail whip. And it was like 2005, I think, or 2004 even, no, 2005. And I was like, holy shit, if I can actually bring these tricks to a competition, I can uh, make some podiums, you know, like in dirt jump competition. And so I was like, I was training hard. Um, but the thing was because only I built the jumps and, and only mainly I rode it, like they were sometimes too far away from what was on a on a competition, you know. So in the beginning, I struggled putting my tricks down on competition day. Um, but then eventually I figured it out. And yeah, I did a few years. I got, you know, went with 18, I got some sponsors. And um, right after I finished school, I did some more slope style. I got into masses of third freestyle show. Um I did write the F&B World Tour a bit, um, yeah, and um, yeah, that was that. And then actually only later, um, like 20, when I was 23, I, I broke my leg. And then I was like, ah, damn it, I guess, guess it's over now. And um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't put too much effort into slope style anymore. I maintained my tricks and had fun riding. And then I got into Audi Nights, or which was back then called Nine Nights, and uh, and there I brought the big bike along, and I was like, "Yo, big mountain free riding, you know, opportunity." So I tried to ride the big bike hard, and um, 
yeah, Sam Reynolds was there as well. And uh, we, we were good friends back then already. And then he was like, uh, the one year he was like, dude, you, you shredded the big bike hard and you're pretty handy with machines. Do you want to come with me to South Africa and uh, do the first dark fest? And I was like, hell yeah, for sure. And um, <clears throat> it's actually a funny story as well. Um, I agreed with him like in September, whenever this event was. And uh, uh, he was like, yeah, I booked your flight. And we didn't chat anymore until, uh, until the flight, actually. And not even prior to the flight. He just sent me flight tickets in September. And then in January, I got on the plane. And then we just met at the airport in Ethiopia um, because we did fly with Ethiopian Airlines because they take so much luggage. And uh, and I can remember um, the week before I started the flight, I was I was terrified. You know, I've never been to Africa. And then flying with Ethiopian Airlines over um, what is it called Addis Ababa, I was like, oh my god, like. I, I don't know. I, I just thought like I'm gonna get robbed for sure. I just didn't know, you know. And, <laughs> and then I was like, even to the point where I, where I was hating myself to to have made this decision. Like I was like, damn it, you could have stayed in Austria where everything is safe, and you know. And but now you're going to Africa. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but <laughs> yeah, but because I'm 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 a person that I I, I have to hold you know, my word, like I, I cannot say I'm coming and then I don't come. Like there has to be like a major reason. So I was like, okay, well, you have to go now. You said it. <laughs> and uh, so I went and uh, um, um, yeah, it was actually, it was all good. As soon as like I met up with Sam and then Nico as well. And we started driving around and he seemed super casual. I was like, oh my God, this guy is like completely casual driving in South Africa. Um, oof. And then it, it took me actually. Did two, you ask him anything, or did you keep your thoughts to yourself? No, I asked him a few things actually. I'm like, dude, how is it like you know walking around Cape Town? Can I can I put my wallet you know and can I carry my wallet around? And he's like, dude, no, it, it's it's fine, man. It's like you know. And then we met Ryan and and his brother Matthew, and they took us out in Cape Town. And actually, yeah, that was actually the second night. And we were out in a bar in Cape Town, I think at Kloof Street. And uh, and yeah, nothing actually bad happened, you know. So the next day I was like, oh, this is quite cool. And then, you know, we toured around Cape Town a bit before we actually went to Neisner. And I was like, holy cow, this this country looks, it's so cool. Like the, the, the you know, the nature is so beautiful and and, you know, like, weather is nice you know it's like europe europe is full winter there's summer i was like whoa and you know the more the trip went on like day after day i liked it more and more and more and um, eventually i started to you know really like to love it actually south africa and that first trip can you remember back to anything that was maybe allowed to be done where you were like there's no rules or restrictions for this type of stuff. Like what, you know, his first impressions, like maybe seeing 
seeing some of the workforce on the back of a of a truck going to work or <laughs> yeah. maybe when yeah, you're yeah. doing the build. Like in Austria, you would need some uh, sort of licenses for certain equipment. It's a little bit more uh, loose in Wild Wild West, especially back then. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, as you say, actually, that was the first thing that came to my mind because we, 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 I think we drove off the airport onto the highway and the first thing I see is like eight guys in the bed of a pickup truck. And I'm like, yo, dude, like you would never see that in Austria. Like, you know, the police would freak the heck out. There's no safety belts in the bed, you know, and it's, it's not meant to do, to be done like that, you know, and like I have genuinely, I've never, ever seen in Austria, someone sitting in the bed of a pickup truck, like driving around. And there it's like normal, like everyone does it. And I'm yeah, like, how illegal is that? Would you get a, f- you get a proper fine. I can tell you what fine you get because you get, uh, you get fines for not being belted, which is I think 50 bucks. So it's eight guys, it's eight times 50. And I've, I don't even know what the police officer would do. Like I have never heard about it. So maybe the police officer himself wouldn't even know what to do in the beginning. Cause you know, big freak out. And yeah, that that was a thing, and and yeah, everything is just a bit more loose, and and as you say, more wild west, and um, yeah, also cars that are driven around. There's like this Golf Two that I have never like I haven't seen in Austria since I was like five or like ten years old, something like that, and they just drive around, you know, like you're like ah, oh, there's Golf Two, and yeah. Yeah, that's and and yeah, definitely. Like when we have uh, build jobs in Europe, you know, it's like, oh yeah, can you send your operating license? You know, like we have to see it, and, and you know, you have to fill out some safety protocols at the beginning of every construction, and you must wear safety boots, like steel toes, and and all those things, and high vis jacket. And obviously, none of that in in Africa, and yeah, I was like. Does anyone need to see it? And I was like, no, man. It's not about it. And what's your uh, skill level on the braai? So braai being barbecue for anyone that maybe hasn't heard the South African word for it. You, you, have you got up to a pretty expert level? Well, um, the funny thing is like I didn't like if you are from Europe or from Austria, you have never, ever heard about the word braai. And in the beginning, I can also remember Ryan was always talking about Brian. I was like, what the heck is he talking about? What does he want to do? I don't understand it. And then when we actually, we was like, oh, so we, we, you know, we're just grilling, we're barbecuing tonight. And he was like, he was looking at me like, we're fucking not, bri- we're fucking not grilling. We're brying. It's a huge difference. And I'm like, hey, what is the difference? You, <laughs> it's a huge you, difference, dude. A huge yeah. difference. And in the beginning, I didn't understand it. I was like, yeah, but what's the difference? You just, you know, we just, and then the first days I kept on saying, are we grilling tonight again? And he actually had a word with me. He was like, all right, dude, you're not saying grilling. You're saying we pry and I tell you what's the difference. And, uh, and yeah. And then I actually started to understand it. And, and in the first two years, I didn't actually pay too much attention. I was like, ah, yeah, you have to make a fire. And it takes forever, and and then you, everyone stands around the fire, and because like, um, for people that are not Austrian, you know, in Austria, if you're invited for a dinner or something or 
doesn't matter. The guests actually come and the food is ready. So like when you come in like 10 minutes later, you sit down and you eat because everything is ready. That's, that's Austrian, you know? And so to come Efficiency, to as I said. <laughs> yeah. And if you come like, let's say being Austrian is also like you like to be early or like not on time, but early. And if you come, if you're invited for at five and you come at like 4.45, like 15 minutes early, people would stress out. They're like, your food isn't finished yet. Just, you know, like come again in 15 minutes and then you can actually, yeah, some, kind of like that, you know, <laughs> it's super funny. And, and here it's like the complete opposite. You arrive and basically we, you start almost cooking together, you know, like or frying together. You make a fire, you stand around with the beer, you know, you pre prepare a little bit of salad, prepare the meat, you know, and kind of, it's kind of like team effort and, uh, and it takes like three hours and then eventually it's, you put everything on the table and then, and then, you know, a few beers in and then you start, you know, eating and, uh, and I started to really like it actually, because, you know, it's less of you do everything and everyone comes around. It's more like, you know, you, or you already have jokes and you're not alone and you, you do it together and, and, and it's, and, and the biggest difference is obviously, you know, frying over, you know, like, um, wood coals, it's, it's just, it's just better, you know? Yeah, I think word of advice, if you are invited to a South African braai and you're skinny like me or you have a fast metabolism, I would recommend eating before you go because as C-Dog says, if you get invited to a braai, say evening braai, right? Even if he says come at six or maybe seven, like you get there and the wood hasn't even been lit yet and then there's at least an hour hour and a half to get the coals good. And if you're at an Afrikaans person's braai, once the coals look, I'll look over to the fire and I'm super hungry and I look over and I just see more wood going on. I'm like, the, the coals are ready. <laughs> and it's, no, have another brandy, have another beer. So by the time you eat, it's like 10, it could be 10, 11. And there's a, there's a famous comedian in our country and he talks about going to a bride at Afrikaans person's house. So he's all excited and he gets there and the guy offers him a brandy. Then he offers him another brandy and Coke. So that's a rum for maybe someone that doesn't know what brandy is. And then he says he looks over and this guy, I won't do the joke in Afrikaans, but basically it goes on so long that he says it felt like the insides of his stomach were getting eaten by his, his ass. He was so hungry, right? And then the, the host looks over to the wife and said, oh, um, Barry looks a bit hungry. Should we get the meat out of the freezer so long? So that's like, there is no regard for time with a South African fry. Should we get the meat out of the freezer for it to frost so long? Oh, man, that's brilliant. But that's, a, that's actually a good joke because it really describes how it is sometimes. And as you say, it's, it's best if you're invited for a South African fry, bring snacks because then you bring something along and beer, obviously. Um, and then you also have the snacks to eat yourself <laughs> when you're too hungry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 100%. I honestly eat dinner before I go to an evening braai. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. And um, I must say, actually, with, uh, with uh, Ryan being such a good friend of mine, I, um, 
I really like to um, like previously to assist him prying and like to look a little bit and like figure out what he does with the coals and where he puts the fire and everything. And uh, and this year I was like, hey Ryan, I, I want to bribe with you. I want to learn it, you know. And and so I think in the event week we did like two bribes and for everyone like it was like fifty people I think. And I was really enjoying it, like you know, like trying to you know, control the fire and like make it more hot, less hot, and and actually uh, you know just bry. And yeah, it was super fun. Uh, I also got um, introduced into the Breibroikis, which we don't have in Austria. We don't have such a thing. And 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 I think it's it's actually once you've done it, it's a complete no-brainer because it's super easy. Everyone eats it basically. It is quick, and and then you can cut down the bright time a bit because you get something early, you know. And I now um, already bought some baskets. Describe what it is for the listener. The Austrian oh, yeah. can, can describe what a a brai a brai broiki brai broiki is like a like the broiki is almost like brötchen. That's like bread in 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 German. So it's it's basically like um, some some uh, sandwich like toast sandwich. And the most classic way, as I understood it, is to put. Um, cheese, uh, tomato, onions, pepper, and chutney into it. And then you have to um, spread butter just on the outside, very important. And then and then you use like a, um, like how you call it, like a grid that you can, like a basket grid or how you call it, where you can, a hinge grid, hinge grid, right? Then you use that because then you can yeah, fill yeah. it with like, with 10 braai broikis and then you can put it on the braai and flip 10 at the same time, you know, and then flip them a couple of times until they're nice and crisp and have a nice color. And boom, it's your starter, you know. <laughs> That's great. Do you think you'll own property in South Africa one day? Or, or maybe at least make it like a proper second home? Um, I do think so, actually, yes. After this trip, especially, like, because um, this past winter I wanted to come um, like earlier, but then it kind of like um, I was a little bit ill in the winter, didn't line up, blah, 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 blah. And then like I had such a long Austrian winter, which was like I wasn't even used to it anymore. And uh, yeah, and then um, there's uh, this famous joke Ryan makes all the time. <laughs> Um, about me owning property in 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 South Africa, a specific farm actually, <laughs> and um, no, um, yeah, I I do actually want to get property um, in in South Africa in the Stellenbosch area because also like I I realized that my that the group of friends here in 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 Stellenbosch and around with you guys, you know. It's almost uh, like home, you know, like there's so many people that I like so much and I wouldn't want to miss anymore, you know, that, uh, that, I've, that I figured, you know, like spend some more months down here and with a second home, with a genuine, with a property. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to look into it. I, I can't wait. We call them swallows, the, the 
retirees that come down from UK, Germany, Austria, most of them to come play golf, but you'll be a, a mountain bike swallow, which will, I think, be quite an increased thing. There's a guest house, the gentleman's from Switzerland, and his guest house in my town, so, you know, 10 minutes from Stellenbosch, he changed it from a golf guest house to a e-biking and, and mountain biking uh, guest house. So he has all these foreign clients that come down year on, year out, which, I mean, I'm biased, right? So it's it's nice to hear it. And obviously, Brendan enjoys it. But I understand that because when I go to England in between the races or did, you get to know the local riders and and you kind of feel at home there when you're not at home. Yeah, exactly. And I... Uh, maybe I get into golfing as well a little bit because, you know, I, I like to keep a few things like for later in life, you know, like because I love learning new things. It's just so good, you know. And you do play golf a lot, I think, no? Yeah, but I would 100% warn you if you haven't been addicted to the sport, don't do it. It just takes over everything, it takes over your mind. It's It is a challenge, but it's like... It's the game and sport that'll never be uh, solved, shall I put it that way. It'll drive you to drink. So I, I recommend not doing it, ever. <laughs> and, oh, damn it. Well, now I'm confused because like, uh, just, just like a few boys at Darkfest, you know, when it was uh, uh, like to try, have some time off, they, they went golfing. And, and I was like, oh, actually, you know, when you beat up with your body and like you don't want to, Maybe you feel like, ah, today I'm not 100%, let's go golfing. It might be a good thing to do if it's windy. But I guess the wind also makes a difference when you golf because you like probably the ball, it blows the ball over as well, right? So, yeah. Oh, yeah. The wind is unfortunately horrible. Ach, the reason I say it is because it is the challenge that's never solved. Like, I've never seen a sport, and I, and anyone can correct me, and some people say it's not a sport and it's just a game. And, and I kind of agree on some instance, but I've never seen a game or a sport that one day you're at your level. I'm not saying pro, I'm just saying a level. And the next day you feel the same, you go to the same course and it looks like you've never picked up a golf club. You are that shit. But in riding, you know, you kind of are as good as you are most days. Say someday you have a crash or you're not feeling it. You don't get your extension on your Superman, but you just have that level. Golf just humbles you. It literally makes you look like a beginner. So I guess it hurts the ego. But it is good fun. It keeps your mind off riding and, and good for the body. So we'll sneak you out there and, and see if you got what it takes. I know um, Adolf was getting into it, Pienve, obviously Ike and, and Teo. But um, yeah, if you have other hobbies, maybe stick to them because it'll take over your mental capacity. Well, that's a, that's a funny way to describe it, actually. So those days where you feel like you've never played before, is it then like you get super angry and then, and then you have to go back and prove that you actually can play and that's why it's actually never soft because you're like, the one day you're good, the other day you're like, as you say, shit, and then and you must come back and make a good one again. Yeah, you've you uh, you've spot you know you've just spotted the exact thing that does draw you back. You'll have the crappiest game, and you'll be walking off the the 18th green, and you'll look at your mate and go, 
okay, what time tomorrow or what time on Saturday? Because exactly, you're like, I won't be defeated by this stupid game. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's quite funny, actually. Um, yeah, riding, riding isn't like that because, as you say, riding, you stay kind of within your level. You have a, a day that's a little bit worse, if a day that's a little bit better. And um, yeah, it's, but basically, it's kind of the same. The track is kind of the same, you know, it doesn't change. Yeah, but I mean, the course doesn't change. But imagine going, so just a trail, right? Or downhill track or, or some jumps. And one day you're clearing them, you feel good. The next day you physically, it would be like you physically can't stay on the bike just on a flow trail. Like you physically crash 10 times. And and you get no up way. and you're like, shit, so was my hand, was my hand position wrong? When, was it my heels? Um, am I not confident? What's going on? I, it's the only way to describe it. You, you, your body doesn't do what it did the day before. And I was like, I wonder how many people would ride, or a lot less would ride bikes because you'd get hurt if you couldn't ride you know, from one day to the other. But I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, how do I describe this to someone that hasn't gone through the thing? And then you say angry. Yeah, I mean, it depends on your personality. But in life, it doesn't matter riding. I think once you reach a certain level, you set the expectation there naturally, and then you raise it a little bit because we all want to be better and society tells us to be better. So if you don't manage your expectations, you don't manage your anger, frustration, and almost your happiness. So it's actually a very good life lesson, not to get too deep. But I've learned that the minute you raise your expectations too high and you're not enjoying it, the, the game of golf and probably life will knock you down a peg. Dude, I had, um, that's, a, that's a good point. Like, um, I had that in writing, actually, uh, definitely. Um, and I call it a bit different, but it's probably the same. Because um, when you're getting too confident and you feel like you're so good, and then you don't even listen to some signs, you know, that tell you, hmm, maybe you shouldn't send it today or... You don't look at the track properly and you fuck it up. And uh, I had those a few times. Um, um, once at, um, at, in, at Royal Hills, at Nico Wings Royal Fest, and he built this massive shark fin at the end of the line. And I came in super confident, um, like way too confident. I was like, oh, yeah, I can do this, that, no problem. I don't even have to look at the track properly. I don't have to do five you know, speed checks, I just, you know, do one and then I send it. And yeah, I messed up the line into the shark fin, approached it like too steep. And then at the compression, I started drifting. And uh, and because I drifted, um, it uh, it pointed my line out the shark fin down rather than up. So I kind of cut down and I just hit the K-stack of that gap and it was like a 20 meter gap or something like that. It was huge, like, you know, and you know, my, just my bike clapped in half. I wasn't back then. I was not on propane yet. So, so the bike, the frame just, you know, was two pieces and I, and I, um, I felt like I'm in a washing machine. Um, uh, but luckily I got up and I, I, I was like, I felt everything a little bit, but you know, like didn't hurt myself. But that was like a crazy, a crazy confidence damper and like a warning, like, 
like I saw it as a warning, like you have to respect um, every jump, every line, every day. And, you know, sometimes people say they get hurt by the smallest things, you know, like a small, stupid jump. But it was because, you know, you, you didn't watch out properly or didn't listen, or didn't respect it, you know, like, ah, oh, it's just a small jump. I don't even have to, you know, pay attention. And and then you go over the bars and, and in the bush and, in the you know, you do your collarbone or something like that. And, uh, yeah, and I think actually as a as a pro rider or it doesn't matter what type of level you are, even as an amateur, every now and then you need those knocks to get you back down. And so you, you know, all right, I have to, you know, look what is the weather, how do I feel today, what is the track like, look at everything properly and then then you're gonna maintain quite a um, healthy um, season I would say because you know if you look at it you don't get hurt you ride tomorrow again and if you get hurt you're not gonna ride for six weeks and yeah that's that's the point to me I think that's really well explained Uh, is it almost is the universe giving you a little wake-up check and hopefully you don't get too hurt but there's a word i mean the word in english is complacency or you got complacent so you took these things for granted like oh okay it's just a shark fin i'm riding good i jumped the the 70 foot jump like whatever like i'm the man you know and the minute you sort of let the ego take take over is sometimes when it it bites back and that's actually you've given a lot of people some good advice there sometimes it's just not the right day Sometimes the body feels different. Sometimes you, you're just not feeling it. And some you've got to listen to that depending on the day or what the event is. How hard is that when you're in front of the boys or you're at Dark Fest and it's day three and maybe Bienve is throwing down and you're like, but I can also throw down. Like how hard is managing that then now that you've realized what it is or you've, you've uh, had some crashes before when you just – we're writing things that you shouldn't that day. Yeah, the, um, it's good that you bring it up because I actually, because this year's Dark Fest uh, to me was uh, a textbook in managing uh, my my own um, daily, I um, would uh, um, say, you know how you feel and and also and also like what is the weather doing today um how the jumps running today you know because um i had some um for example the uh, i i knew that i wanted to get like an evening step up sesh because in the evening you don't have the sun in your eyes there's no wind anymore and it's just you know for for like an epic trick sesh it is always the evening you know and kind of within the boys and the groups and the girls and like it just feels the best but it wasn't until like Wednesday at Darkfest until there was actually a really good step-up sesh. And I needed to be patient and I I wanted to do tricks already, but I was like, ah, I'm not feeling so good. You know, like, you're not like charging your speed right each run. Maybe it's, you know, it was on, on Sunday. Ah, it's tomorrow. Monday, I was like, ah, no, not today. Not today yet. It's Tuesday. And then I was like, ah, Tuesday was already a good evening session, I can't remember, but I didn't ride it because it didn't feel so good. I didn't ride it all. And then on Wednesday, I was like, I think today is going to be a good step-up session. I had like a gut feeling. 
And so I waited and then I motivated everyone at like four in the afternoon. It was still a little windy, but I was like, ah, it's going to drop. It's going to drop for sure. And then we, we went up there and it dropped. And I was like, holy yeah. Oh yeah. Now I feel ready. Everything is right. And I had like seven or eight runs and I, I nailed each trick first try with the extension that I wanted and with the things that I wanted. And, uh, and that was just, to me, I was like realizing after I was like, wow, you actually patiently waited until everything was right. You know, like you felt right, weather was right, the crew was right. And, you know, and uh, yeah. And actually that morning earlier, I also wanted to do some tricks. I think that was also when you followed me the, closely with like a flat spin and something like that. And there I wanted to do some more tricks, but I was like, damn it, I, I, I don't, it doesn't come off easy. I, I don't. It doesn't feel like I should be pushing now. And so I stopped the session and, and came back later to do the step-up session. And that was an, a good decision. And uh, also throughout the week, I kind of like did pretty much everything I wanted. I had in my head and, and I only had like uh, two crashes on a step-up, which weren't too bad, luckily. And yeah, that, that was pretty much it. I wish uh, I wrote more top to bottom laps with everyone, like in a train maybe, but yeah, there's always a next year. And yeah, as I said, there was even Daniel Russo, um, um, this year's newcomer who got a little bit unlucky. He came up after the event and he was like, dude, you, how did you manage to like, like just, you just know when to send and when not to send. I was like, how do you do it? And I'm like, yeah, it's, it actually is experience. Like you have to go through what you just did, you know, at Darkfest, you know, he crashed early and, and hurt his shoulder, but not too bad. He's pretty good again, actually. And he's like, yeah, no man, but I want to have the same, you know, like, and, uh, I'm like, yeah, experience, man. It's, you're going to get it hundred percent. And, uh, you just need to be patient, but it's hard when you're young and you have the fire the hardest thing is to be patient yeah it must be the the hardest thing for the youngsters and the same i had the same conversation with ike you know actually ironically the morning before that that backflip crash we did his femur and you can't buy the experience you know we sound you know a little bit older and maybe a bit more conservative but you can kind of you've been through some things where you can kind of see it a little bit differently when you take a step back and i noticed that with you you know there were some sessions you weren't in your kit or i was even riding the step up and it was a bit windy just you know because i don't ride that type of stuff all year and not with you guys and it's really exciting to be around um just the energy and uh but i noticed that with you just drawing on your experience and hey today's just not the day but with Ike, it was a conversation of, do you think this is good training for World Cup? I said, I don't know about good, but if it's something you need and want to do, the event can work. But don't try be a hero. You know, if the goal is World Cup, then Darkfest is just going to happen and, and you ride with the boys. And if you feel good, cool, you're going to jump the jumps. Don't doubt yourself. But, you know, you obviously got a little bit too eager and, and too excited and decides that he's going to flip that jump. But has he flipped anything else? When last did he flip? You know, had he built the confidence maybe to do it? You know, and he got, un he got unlucky. And 
shame. I saw that with the Russo guy. You know, they're so excited and it's their first time there and they want to impress and they want to ride. And and maybe, you know, instead of taking a few more runs at some of the jumps or watching and, and being patient might have helped them. But again, you have to go through these lessons in, in life and, 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 and riding. What's it like? taking some of those guys under your wing and is it a bit frustrating to the point you go, yeah, I could have told you that was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, also with, with Ike, um, I think he, he managed it this year so well cause he really learned out of his, um, like unfortunate luck. Like, uh, do you say it like that? Unfortunate luck? No, just um, that happening last year, that crash. Um, and, um, and, and he was like, I was actually quite amazed by Ike. He was like unbelievable confident this year and he rode it. He enjoyed it, but he didn't like um, do any like tricks or try anything new. Just like just rode the event and like, yeah, had his, his fun. But uh, I, I could see that his priority is racing and he's back healthy now and has a good body again. And uh, yeah, that was actually for his age. He, he did it quite maturely and he really learned out of his you know thing and um the other thing is with with the russos i i actually really like mentoring them and and giving them like you know a few tips um that like trying to kind of i say so they don't have to make mistakes that i made actually but uh, but now after this event, I figured out I I can you know, I can give them a few tips and and tell them this that this that. But at the end of the day, um, they have to make the mistakes themselves to actually you know learn it. And uh, and and because like um, <clears throat> I I was like dude, whenever you guys ready, just tell me. I I pull you over the jumps. But they got so excited that they were that I was like I did a run down and as I was coming up they were already dropping in, and uh, and 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 on on oh, the line shit. like so that. Oh shit! So you told them like maybe wait. Yeah, yeah, I was like, guys, I just I just have to ride the line once so I know how it is. This year was my first run, and today, and then and then you can get behind me and I pull you over. And as I was like pushing up by the step up. Um, I saw them already dropping in and I was like, Ooh, and, and then Danny actually crashed because it is like, you know, um, like for example, that twisty wizard where he crashed on, like if you see the rider in front of you is suddenly squashing it, you know, or like race jumping it, you kind of, you see it, you know, like, and you then know like, all right, I have to do the same. But if you don't know, and after the 90, I mean, the excitement rush is insane. And, and especially for Danny, he's so, so passionate. He's way more passionate than I ever was, I think, with the sport, I think. Um, and, uh, and, and the rush that he must have felt, like, I think you can't even concentrate anymore on the next jump, you know. So, so and, and, you know, in, in, because he's like, he rides powerful and, and with lots of energy and, so he, he, you know, he's not a guy that like who race squashes it. He's like pulling and 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 yeah. And this is the one jump where you shouldn't pull actually. <laughs> and yeah, but yeah, I'm I'm glad that he he didn't like get hurt badly. So so he's got um a new chance next year. 
And what did you make of the the woman riding the course? Or no, firstly, what did you what are your expectations coming in, and then uh, now post post the event? Well, um, I must say, prior to Ordinance last year, I was like, I didn't know the the women's riding scene too much because you know where do you ever hang out together and ride? Like rarely. I just realized, like in Austria. There's like um, a few girls now that are getting really good. And I was like in recent, like especially last year, I was like, yo, actually the level is like rising quickly. And, um, and then um, with the nines last year, um, seeing, seeing the girls, you know, shred almost the entire track or I think everything, I was like, holy, you know, they, they just didn't get the right platform to do it yet, but they they're capable, you know. And um, then um, um, when I heard that uh, um, Sam was planning on um, yeah bringing them to Darkfest, I was I was hundred percent sure that they're gonna have a good time on on the step up, you know. Um, and then for the rest, I was like, I don't know, like can be good can be bad you know as is for the boys you with the boys you never know either like if there's new boys coming you don't know if they're gonna you know crash first run or send it all week and um when we rode um top to bottom and i uh, felt how good the track was running and how smooth and and safe it actually was running i was like okay i'm quite sure they can do the rocket launchers because they run really good this year. And uh, yeah, and there were, and, and some of the girls like Chelsea, like, um, yeah, very impressive. Um, she was, you know, always the first kitted up, always, you know, like, ah, can we water? And um, yeah, and then uh, I think she sent it first as well and super safe. And what I realized is that um, the girls ride how you say, um, with more with more respect to the champs, you know, because some of the boys just get wild and, and, you know, that's when you get sketchy, when you just get wild and send it, even though if you have, you don't know the track too much yet. But uh, the girls didn't do that at all. They actually, they, they were, I think, they really thought what they were doing, you know, like thought about it and, and they rode with respect and that's why, they rarely got sketchy actually when they rode like whenever I was watching or whenever I saw them riding, it was, it was safe. And, uh, obviously there were some moments, but in like in general, they were super safe and, and, and that I found really cool actually. And yeah, I was, I was loving it to see it. Yeah. I, um, I was similar to you. I didn't know what to expect, but not from a skill level. Uh, maybe just from how much speed they may carry, or as you say, I mean, we you you just don't know how comfortable they'll be at that speed, and and the lips are, are just. I actually can't describe it unless you go and stand there. How tall some of the lips are, and the speed that you're going at the bottom. Obviously, when you go up such a long lip, you lose speed. So I had similar, not expectation. I just didn't know. Lots of question marks, and uh, I was. Not surprising, just I was blown away in a, in, a, in a good way. And maybe what you've mentioned is 
part of that ego. And and sometimes guys, I think, factually have a little bit more of it, a little bit more to prove. But I thought I thought the community of the women was awesome and the community of Darkfest, everyone was so accepted. And there's such like a positive vibe of, hey, if you're feeling comfortable, we'll tow you in. And everyone trying to give advice and try to get everyone comfortable. So I was, yeah, I was so blown away. It was so cool to see. And, and props to you guys at the event and all the ladies for coming down there and, and, and sending the rocket launches and a few of them, I guess with the weather, they didn't have as much opportunity as the week went on. You know, they had to get comfortable first time there. I think some of the guys are only just getting comfortable in the whole course after like three years there. So, um, and they did the 90 as well. It was super cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I can only agree to everything that you said. And the vibe at Darkfest is, I think it, it is a, it is what makes it special, actually. Because also the hangout at the guest house and like during the day and like there's, you know, choking around and like, you know, all sorts of things. But 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 no competition, really. And um, yeah, that's what makes it such a good time. And there's actually a funny thing that I... That I realized that at nines last year, because you know, obviously after a good day of riding, we were always like hanging out at nines, and and we were you know one or two beers and like you know bands and good times, and and I can remember that um, the girls were very like they were actually quick out the quarry always, and and by the end of the week we were we were chilling there in the morning. Actually, I was talking with Casey, and I was like, how come you guys you know like why are you always gone so quick? And they were like, dude, we are exhausted by the end of the day, but not actually physically, but mentally. Cause you know, at, at nines, there's like so many jumps and, and they're like, dude, we like, we haven't been at so many platforms and like events and, uh, and, and, you know, we, we want to send and, and we want to be like in really good shape the next day again. And, and it is actually, um, at big jumps, it's also what I realized is you don't ride till physical exhaustion. You have to be 100% with your body and uh, and you actually ride until you're mentally exhausted and that goes quite quick. Um, your adrenaline drops after one and a half, two hours. You cannot do a session longer than that. And, and, and thinking when I was talking with Casey, I was actually, damn, you actually completed right. I can't remember like myself as well like a few years back in the beginning you're so overwhelmed by by all the impressions like the charms you have to concentrate so hard and then there's so many people that you are just exhausted and uh but that was that was now um different at at uh at dark fest than, than at nines you know and but back then i i was like oh yeah ah oh, yeah i can remember it was the same for me yeah, it is, hey, the stress. The stress does wear you out. It wears you out back to almost a physical side, you, you know. That is quite interesting. I must say it must have been very overwhelming. And to be around all the guys and the banter and it just never stops. Like it is actually quite draining. Like sometimes you do need to maybe just go sit in your room for even five minutes. I mean, I know Sam snuck off and had a bath and I was like, huh, I'm not even going to tease you about that. I think you, you kind of need that. You need some personal space to kind of reset and re-energize, you know, even though it's a fun, awesome week. And, you know, when you're at home after two days, you're like, oh, I wish I was back there and I stayed around for another five minutes and had some banter with the guys but and girls or ladies. 
but yeah, it is a it is a, actually quite a draining week, even though physically you're not riding that much total, and you do get lifts to the top. But it's a it's a long week, um, and you know, sitting around can be draining as well. You know, killing the time between the morning sesh and the evening sesh. Yeah, totally. I actually also sneak off uh, once or twice in a week, um, um, just to lay back and be in a quiet room, and like, especially when we do a morning sesh, and then we plan on doing an evening sesh again. Um, then after lunch, you know, you just, you just go and and be by yourself for one and a half hours. And it's exactly the same for life. I was like, ah, I should have stayed, you know, with, with the group because you, you don't, you get to see them like once, a, like a few times a year only. And especially there, not too many times. And you're like, ah, I should have stayed and do some bands. But then you're like, ah, oh, damn it. though, so I have to, you know, be by myself for an hour and, and to get action, to get ready again for, for some more sending. And um, do you think the competition or lack lack of competition format actually there is a bit of internal competition with the riders because there is awards at the end of the week? Like what what's that internal process like? And I think do you because of the non formalness of the week? So maybe for some people that don't understand, you know, there's no set times to ride. You don't have a best trick session. Um, you don't have to do it at any time as long as it's obviously doing the dark first week. What's that? Maybe talk to that process, the internalness of it. Yeah, well, I think personally there, there, there is definitely a little bit of competition, but almost just to yourself. So like I can talk about, you know, myself, like I don't plan on like, Oh, if this guy does a flip on the 90, I must do it also and must do it better. You know, like the only thing that I think about it is like, all right, what have I done last year? Um, what is like what I would like to do this year? Um, I was like, okay, those are the things that I would like to do. And then I just try to, you know, like um, have the most fun and, and, and do a few things that are on my list. So I'm competing with myself. And um, maybe if there's a, like a sash and someone is sending a trick, I feel it's more inspiring me or like pushing me to also send it rather than I must do it because he has done it or she has done it and I need to do it better. Um, yeah, that actually, I don't feel that. Um, I know that some of the younger boys, um, the up and coming ones, they are like, I kind of feel it that they're like, oh, this guy's sending it. I have to send it as well. But I also think that, you know, places like Darkfest, it's so, so big that um, you can't mess with it too much, you know, because, yeah, you have to just look at yourself and the jumps and compete, you know, with, with yourself or the jumps a little bit like that rather than with someone else because if you mess up and you're done, you know, and, uh, yeah. So there's definitely, yeah, not like, I think I haven't been at so many really competitive um, events for a while that I actually can't even tell any other things. Like, you know, I, I don't have, I've not raced. I haven't been in slope style for a long time. So I don't get it, you know, so close to rivalries and, rivalries and, 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 and 
yeah, that comes with it. You can tell a bit better, maybe. Well, I think uh, from the outside, watching these events or watching slow stuff, I mean, the end of the day, you are always competing against yourself. You can maybe um, see a... I see it in slope style. Obviously, if someone puts down their best run and you know, okay, well, my 95% run is not going to get me the result I want. If I want a bigger result, I've got to do my 100% run. But at the end of the day, you have to just focus on yourself. But I think the younger guys are influenced by wanting to prove themselves. And if they're not weary of that that's when the crashes happen that's when they start trying the line too early because they're like okay top to bottoms are happen so i'm at dark fest i gotta get my top to bottom run happening say today and with the experience you realize well if i do it on a tuesday or wednesday it doesn't really matter as long as i get it done so yeah i mean it's it's really back to the experiencing but i, I mean i i love the format and i and i think it brings out the best in everyone because the consequences are big and public days are fun I think it's good for the sport. It grows the sport. The kids that I speak to, and I know a lot of uh, friends that came out, and and they understand the wind. Uh, and if they don't, well, stay at home then, because these jumps are so big that uh, any doubt, any bit of wind gust, like you're going to get hurt unnecessarily. So, yeah, I, I think it's a it's a great format. What about the future of free ride or big mountain? Like, what where do you want to see it go, and where do you think it can go if you've thought about that sort of side of the sport well um <clears throat> i have a few things uh, in mind for myself actually that i still want to do um, uh, like just on the pure sportive side um like the thing is like when you over jump like the 90 footer by like like halfway down the landing and you're like dude that was that was comfortable it was deep but it was comfortable and you're like oh there was 120 feet almost you're like how far how big can we actually go you know so um but um i'd like i'd like to see um because these events like dark fest really are like like a session with your homies but really put on a professional level because you know there's there's charms that are like like nowhere else you can't find them and and i would like to see some some actually some more of these events around the globe so you know like now we have dark fest in in south africa and then nico is doing you know his events in in europe um but there isn't really too many at the moment you know and, and like a, a bit of a growth would be cool anymore and, and uh i think yeah simon Godzik is doing one in, in in poland in june i will go there and um, yeah, just getting those platforms where basically you're taking your the session that you would do with your homie, but to a, a different scale that I like. And and for example, what I thought would be cool again, actually, but my opinion um, at Rampage in the previous years, they had like wooden features built by the event organizer. And I kind of, I thought it was cool because, you know, Rampage really is like, I have only have helped digging Simon, but in my opinion, it's more like a tough man challenge. And because um, you have to dig so much, so you're coming into the event exhausted. 
and um, and if there is like one or two features built by the organizer, um, also like those are jumps usually that you can't really build by hand. Like it has to be, you know, like with a wood ramp. It's it's just a different type of jump. And and I would say um, bringing that could be brought back in my opinion. Um, but yeah, that's just my opinion. And yeah, maybe some, uh, yeah, dark fest concepts or like, yeah, that I would like to see just more in the future and with more countries developing the sport as well. Um, there's definitely a lot of kids out there that are, you know, like motivated and fascinated and, 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 you know, may eventually we sparked a fire in themselves. Like I got it sparked when I was like 13 years old and it's still, you know, it's, it's still burning and it's, I'm still very passionate. So, yeah. And, and, and the rest, you know, we see what it's, what's going to do. Like a few years back, we, I didn't think that you can jump that big, that confident and that comfortable. Uh, now we're doing it, and uh, who knows um, where it goes. Yeah, I think you will be inspiring the next generation, absolutely. I mean, I went to the World Cup downhill in Stellenbosch in 97 and 98, and, and there's no arguing that that sparked some of my big interest in the sport. I'd already started riding a bit, and I did the Citizens one. So you can imagine these kids coming to Darkfest, and like Jack, you know, jumping the step up already like now he sees he can do it and then at that age maybe other kids so that's awesome but it is something i definitely want to dig into is rampage is that on the goal list if you get an invite do you go or like are you pushing towards that i am um i, I must say i'm not i'm not pushing hard towards it because um i'm also like that's what i also figured out like if if i it has to come like a little bit naturally for me. Otherwise I can't perform, like I can't get the best out of myself, I would say. Um, like, um, I would like, I really, really would like to do that. I see it as a challenge, you know, like I really would like to do it. And if I get him in, but I'm a hundred percent going. Um, the thing though is like in the last two years, it, it got like a little bit like, my plans to travel to Utah and spend a month and do like an edit and just like uh, just do more like riding there like it got crossed like three times or four times already like um, before the the, um, um, the first corona lockdown came in in 2020 I actually planned a full-on trip already for Israel to do a shoot there because they have some rampage similar terrain. And literally, um, one day before I was going to book everything, um, um, they started, they made the first lockdown. So like the next day I would have spent, I don't know how many euros um, to get me and, my, and two camera guys. And there was like a local team already there to help dig. And, uh, and then I wanted to go to Utah um, when was it like last year? And then there was the travel ban from Europe. And I was like, you know, it's like if you spend that much money and then they tell you you can go back home again, 
I was like, I don't know, it just doesn't line up at the moment. And um, yeah, and also like I would, I, I need to take out a lot of time um, building in, in Europe so I can do like a trip prior, like, like let's say like nine June or July to, um, to Utah. Because I, <clears throat> if I want to do it, I, I really want to ride a bit more in the Utah terrain and just learn it a bit better. Like I had one trip there that I really enjoyed and I really felt good. And uh, it opened my eyes a bit uh, why um, free ride kind of started there. I understood it a bit better. And um, so, yeah, if I would get an invite, I, I would definitely go and I would give it my best. And uh, and uh, but but I'm 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 not trying to force the issue. Let's say like I'm not. It's it wouldn't be the end of the world for me if it didn't happen. Let's say that. Well, I certainly hope it does, seeing so you would go. I really think you deserve a spot and big man for you. But that's uh, that's smart, man, to go out there before and get used to the terrain and maybe be a little less overwhelmed. But yeah, I spoke to Brendog. It is a challenge with the rules and the building and you want to build the best line and you've got a lot of stuff you need to move. They almost need a forced rest day or two to get the bodies and minds ready to, to ride. But I think people don't realize the pressure on the mind and body to get through that week and sort of a lack of bike time leading up to some of these huge jumps, which I think you could argue is then encroaching on the safety of the riders. Now, I don't know the politics and I haven't been there, so I'm not going to comment too much, but yeah, it does sound like a really tough week. Like you, like you said. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, the one year where I actually decided that I want to do it, was because um, I, I never wanted to say it out loud before I was actually there and see it myself because I don't like, you know, I don't like um, saying things and then like uh, the opposite is the case, like, you know, and I was there with Simon and uh, I'm even coming up to the event when we were uh, like before the digging week comes, we were like riding and if there was something sketchy, I was like, he was like, I really, I don't want to get hurt, you know, before the event, because there's also like he spent so much money already, and if you then don't, uh, if you show up and, and and you're hurt already, you're not getting that support money from, and then you know, um, so I was sometimes testing things and writing lines first, because um, yeah, so he doesn't have to do it, because if I get hurt, I'm just the, I was just the support crew, the digger. And then also when we were digging and there was, it was really rough days. I was like, dude, chill out. I'm, you know, I'm putting in so you can, you can get a little bit of rest and, and, and ride. And yeah, it, the stress, um, like for him, it was, it was, yeah, big because so much, there's so much put on the line for it. And then, and then you have to ride tired. It's uh, yeah, that, that, that's why I say it's, it's a tough man competition. Only the toughest. Yeah, toughest and smartest. I definitely haven't thought about it like that. But speaking enough to Brendan and, and you guys about the digs and all that, it definitely sounds like it. Sea Dog, maybe we wind down with some some there were a bunch of listener questions. I think we've covered some of them, obviously, because a lot of them were to do with Darkfest, but I had one. Uh it's a twofold question. Is was Arnold Schwarzenegger an inspiration growing up? And 
is he still an icon? Like, is Austria still proud of the man? <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny question. Um, 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 de de definitely. I mean, I was always like fascinated by um, um, people that, you know, like have big dreams and made from nothing to like, to actually reach it. So, and, and he's like, you can say whatever you want about um, about him, but you know he reached everything that you can reach as an Austrian. Like he came, you know, Austria was was, was poor back in the days, like in the fifties. You know, they're like also like my dad and my granny, like they were actually poor. You know, um, they didn't have much, and uh, and he from nothing he went to the states, made a living in the states, got. Um, eight titles of his sport, you know, like what was the best in his sport, and then got a, a famous movie actor, and then um, got uh, into the highest uh, political level in the states that you can't be if you're not born in the states. And I believe that if they didn't have the rule, he would have been the president of the United States, hundred percent for sure. And um, so, yeah, definitely inspiring guy, and uh, yeah. I'm always also like inspired by people that um, um, are just on the sportive side. If they, you know, uh, really put in the work and it and 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 are good at it, then um, that inspires me. Because you know, I what I try is I try to maintain like a young body. Like I mean, I'm, I'm 31 now, turning 32 soon, or like at the end of this year, and. Um, the, if I can keep my body young, I can keep doing the sport for a long time, and uh, that's 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 why I I think working out, you know, in the gym and and stretching or whatever um, really makes the difference because you can then take those crashes, and that's eventually only uh, what usually uh, makes you to have to stop riding is because you crash too much. And your body can't take it anymore. Your shoulder is fucked or your knee is fucked up. So if you can handle it, then you can do it for a long time. And plus, if you ride wisely, you can also do it for a long time. Well, that's what came to mind is if you can push yourself in the sport, but smartly and avoid some crash that helps your body, but also mentally, you know, it can be a little bit scarring. I would imagine, you know, you're going to hit the ground. I mean, that's free ride mountain biking. But yeah, I think people don't see the the work behind the scenes. And, and if you take it professionally and seriously, you can have a long career. And that's awesome to hear you speak about, uh, Arnold, because, I mean, that was not luck. That was pure grit and determination to, I mean, to transform your body. You, you, you don't just win the genetic lottery. Well, maybe your muscles grow a bit differently. I don't think I could ever get as big as Arnold. But what I mean is, I mean, dude, he goes over to America. I read some books or maybe it was a podcast. Like he was laying brick or paving and working construction in between that all that gym stuff. Like that is just so self-made. And I think that is an inspiration. Yeah, it's cool to hear you speak about that. Let's jump into maybe some listener questions. Uh, one member has asked, can you teach me? So uh, I don't know what you can teach him over a podcast, but uh, would you teach him <laughs> to jump big jumps? 
Um, yeah, well, I, I so far I have not really ever done um, um, coaching or teaching, but it's I thought about it many times that I think um, maybe at some point I will do more more coaching or teaching or do like <clears throat> some camps or like because um, I I feel like combined with the building I can give some nice um, some nice information maybe like. And, and teach some people because yeah yeah but um, so far it's it's not on on my um, agenda at all that I in the near future be like a teacher or a coach but it can be I don't know maybe when I come maybe when I have my South African property and house then I will be around more and uh, maybe I'll do some coaching then yeah that sounds like a good idea does hitting big jumps with no clothes on make you feel more alive? Should I try it? So he's talking about Sea Dog's speedo jump. <laughs> well, um, I, 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 uh, no, it doesn't make you feel more alive. I must say, I actually, um, because of, I think I, you know, you, you, you slipstream a bit better if you have no clothes on. And I was uh, I was running too fast and just step up. I overjumped it a bit, and uh, and to even out the impact, you know, like I pushed the bike forward and I buzzed my ass on the tire, and my you know like you did my not skin with your burns. speedo on. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not kidding. <laughs> and, That's uh, great. You and, deserve and that, I... that fucking stupidity. <laughs> uh, yeah, and. Also riding down, you know, like with nothing on your knees. I was like, please, please, please don't crash. Yeah, if you're struggling for speed, you can. Uh, um, that might help, but <coughs> it definitely doesn't help for crashes. And um, yeah, so I passed my ass in the tire, and I, I'm literally for six days after. It was the shittest getting into the car and out, like, you know, like because your skin stretches so much there. It was so bad. Well, thanks, Joey Trimble Eleven. If you're looking for speed into a jump, you can try that, but it's actually not recommended. Um, another one. How long did it take to be able to ride at Darkface? Well, I think you've explained the backstory to that. What goes through his mind when he's doing that backflip? And there, I think we're speaking about the Superman flip, which you did huge extension. I shared that and then asked some questions. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I must say the super flip specifically was like my dream trick when I was like 16 years old, because in uh, FMX, they were already kind of like starting doing backflip supermans. And I always thought that this is one of the coolest looking tricks. So, uh, back then, um, whenever I was, um, um, at a foam pit, I was like always super flip, super flip, super flip. And eventually, um, <coughs> I'm sorry. Eventually, I I feel like uh, back then already, like 2008, 9, 10, when I was doing slope style, I got like a really good super flip. Because like the FMX guys, they always like push themselves far off the bike, and I always thought that is what makes it look so cool. So I could do it back then, and um, and and yeah, and I was like. And with the big bike on the big jump, it actually works a bit easier because it's more heavy and you can work a bit more with it. With it. 
And yeah, but this this year um, they won Super Flip. It worked out so well. It was the only one I did actually. No, I did actually one of the rocket launcher number two, but not as good. And um, yeah, that was was insane feeling because when you're so far off the bike, you're like, hopefully I go get back into it, and then hopefully I don't over or under rotate, and uh, hopefully I hit the pedals again. So yeah, that's what goes through your mind. And uh, <laughs> that's quite a lot. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of it just happens naturally, or for you now that you've got that much sort of experience. And maybe oh, so not maybe, but I wanted to ask, what's it that Masters of Dirt uh, show? And it's in a it's in a stadium. It's like packed. What's that like riding riding in front of a stadium? Dark fest is a lot less people sometimes, you know, just photographers' videos and your and your core crew is there. But then like polar opposite is Masters of Dirt in a sold out stadium, crazy showgirls and uh, fireworks and music and FMX riders. What's that scene like? Um, yeah, back in the days I did lots of MOD shows because there's there's the biggest one in Vienna because MOD is from Vienna. My best friend um george factor he's the founder of mod and he's from vienna so vienna was always they yeah, are the biggest one in terms of the track and the amount of riders that's there because um in vienna we had like um, 25 mountain bike bmx riders and also back then um the, georgie was the first one to bring mountain biking and BMX to an indoor freestyle show because like years back it was always just FMX and he brought that in and uh, because you know we mountain bikers and BMXers we we crash you know but FMX riders you rarely see crash because you know the, the, yeah the, 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 the fact that you can get hurt or mainly get hurt is, is just you know the, the risk is too big and um yeah, stadium show is is insane. You know, when you drop in for the first time, and the crowd like ten thousand people in a stadium go nuts. It's it's insane. Like like yeah, it's like you drop in for the first time and you get goosebumps all over when they're like whoa. And uh, and and there's some other shows also like throughout the year that are a bit smaller. And then if you like like a typical typical crew back then was like Sam Reynolds, uh, BNV, and Patrick Gumes is like a BMX rider from France, and myself, for example, in Austria. And if you're four riders and we got towed in, there was no rolling tower, then, you know, the spotlight really is on you. You know, like if there are 25 riders, obviously the, the announcer, like, uh, yeah, he said, ah, oh, from Austria, and they're like, yeah, and you know they know you. But if you're four riders, that's that's even different, and you can play with the crowd, and you know, and then hype them up. And you know, if you play with like them, and they like actually like doing what you want them to do, you know, then that's uh, yeah, insane feeling. And you can only imagine. There's always like a signing session after, and um, and then there's always like the the party after, and. Yeah, the the hype that you go into the party is uh, when you did a good show, good riding. Yeah, it's insane. It's 
Yeah, it's crazy. You think it's as close as what a rock star would feel like? Yeah, hundred percent. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's how it must be actually. Like you know, in some shows, you know, some riders are more spotlighted, some send it harder, some maybe have like a special trick that is announced really well and like focused on. And uh, if you then uh, land it and crowds go, the crowd goes off, they remember you and then, you know, they come to the signing session and want specifically uh, signatures of you. And, uh, and, and then, yeah, it goes on at the after party. And yeah, always, yeah, some good girls involved as well, <laughs> obviously. Um, did you ever send it? harder than you expected to because of the crowd or even sent it too hard you know trying to impress the crowd at some of these shows yeah there's one show that specifically comes to mind um, it was like a <clears throat> in switzerland in zurich and we had this electrical winch to pull us in you know for speed and it didn't work and there was like a bit of a fuck around and, you know, the crowd was waiting, you know, and like every minute feels like an hour, you know, when you're down there. And then, you know, the old school way was to to, um, to duct tape a rope to the fender of a motocross bike. And the guy just would sing the motor as hard as he could to pull you in. And then kind of like before the ramp, he would pull out and you hit the jump. And he literally... Uh, has to sing it, you know, like once he finds grip, he, he pulls so hard, but if he doesn't find grip, it's like, and then you, whoop, and then you have to charge your speed, it's so hard, and we had one of those shows, like, yeah, and so there was already like, as a rider, you feel like a little bit responsible, like to do a good show, because people come to see it, and then winch didn't work, so we got pulled in, and and because, you know, Georgie was already like, you know, like putting oh, guys, guys, we, we're running out of time, we're running out of time. So I didn't do much practice jumps. I was like, yeah, fuck it, I'm going to stand it. So the first first hit, I think we didn't even have practice. So my first hit was it was like, I think, a backflip no-hander. And then my second hit was like a front flip no-hander. And because we knew it was only going to be, the plan was to do four jumps each. So because we already messed up in the beginning with time, so we had like, I was like, okay, it might be two, might be three hits. I don't know. And then I think my third hit was a flip whip. And uh, <clears throat> I landed all three of them. And it's kind of like it was an extra rush because you, you felt like you kind of saved the show a little bit, you know, like. And obviously BNV and Sam went as nuts, you know, like it was huge celebration after because, you know, like, the winch broke and then we kind of planned it and yeah, that, that was, <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. I think that's a perfect way to, to wind it down on a high because it's all about the highs and lows. And uh, thanks so much for your time and maybe where the, the listener, if they want to follow along, is that on your Instagram? What does that look like? Yeah, mainly I do Instagram and I actually figured out that Facebook isn't that bad that I fought for a while. Um, so I'm, I'm linking up all my Instagram stuff on Facebook and every now and then I actually post something on Facebook on my, on my page as well. So yeah, but best follow me on Instagram. That's what I use most actually. I'm old school, not TikTok or anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Sea dog. I look forward to more South African brides, beers 
and and uh, big jumps. Thanks so much for your time. Definitely. Thanks. Thanks for bringing me on the show. I was enjoying it. I like um, uh, hanging with you and, uh, and, and talking stuff. And yeah, it was amazing. Nice. So the listeners, you know what to do. Follow along on Dog's Instagram and his Facebook. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, share it with a friend. If you think someone enjoys Freeride, maybe send it to them. You know what to do. Like, subscribe. It goes a long way. Till the next one. Peace. This episode is brought to you by Kenda Tires. With over 60 years of experience in manufacturing tires, Kenda has been offering high-quality rubber products for bicycles, cars, light trucks, motorcycles, ATVs, trailers, carts, golf carts. The list goes on since 1962. With offices and factories across Asia, North America, Europe, Kenda distributes its products globally and employs more than 10,000 people. Now listen to this number. They produce more than 800,000 tires and tubes daily. It's easy to see why Kenda is one of the top five largest bicycle tire manufacturers in the world. Now I am lucky to be supported by them and I helped design, develop. I was involved in the passion and the work that they put into developing the new range of bicycle tires that they have that people use and compete on the World Cup circuit. 